Welcome to Geological Shop Talk. In this podcast, we bring you roughly 12 to 15 minutes of practical clinical methods, perspectives, and advice that has its work boots on. In the next few minutes, you'll get a clinical gem of practical material that you can begin to investigate the next time that you'll walk into clinic. Additionally, visit the show notes page for supporting materials from this week's guest on Shop Talk. All right, roll up your sleeves. Let's get to work. Hello, Shop Talk fans. My name is Brenda Hood, and today I'd like to talk a little bit about Zongfu organs and channels and vessels. First of all, I'd like to point out that the anatomy of Chinese medicine is extremely different than that of Western medicine. Um, and unfortunately, much of our understanding of Chinese medicine has in ways both subtle and overt been co-opted by Western biomedical understandings of the body. And I think that we need to understand that this has taken away from our ability to actually fluently use Chinese medicine as a true medical practice. This is not to say that there are not people out there who are amazing at what they do with Chinese herbs, Chinese toina, and Chinese acupuncture, as well as other related modalities. It's just that if we don't go back to learning how to think like the people who created the system to begin with, then there's huge sections of things in Chinese medicine that seem to be a complete mystery and don't seem to make any sense at all. The upshot of that in the West has very much been the scrabbling around for different modalities to kind of fill in the holes of the things we think that are missing. You know, and it's not to say that it's a bad thing. I think that it's a necessary thing to happen, but I believe that it needs to happen under the auspices of the overarching understanding of actual Chinese medicine theory, whatever it is that you think that is. The situation is complicated, and this is not really the time and place to talk about such a deep and important issue. But I do want to bring up a couple of things. And one of the things that I thought a lot about over the course of the years is the dichotomy between the Zangfu organs, our understanding of the Zangfu organs, and the channels and vessel system uh, that we usually understand as being the basis of acupuncture. In the Song Dynasty, there was a big schism and a not so much a reorganization as it was a standardization of older theories of Chinese medicine. And a lot of very interesting and important things happened during that time. One of which was that Chinese medicine began to move out of the hands of people who were more hands-on practitioners to people who were more literati. So in Song Dynasty, a man by the name of Chu Xi, who was um, a Confucian by nature, but who created a whole school of Confucianism called Neo-Confucianism. And one of the important things that he had to say with regards to medicine was that people should learn, or at least men should learn medicine, 
such that they could look after their parents in their elder years, and that this was a, a very high sign of piliophyte, which in that time was a really big deal. And so the Song Dynasty has been a pivotal point in the transitioning of Chinese medicine from older ways of understanding and doing things into ways that we in the West would consider slightly more modern. The problem is, is that we don't really know much before the Song Dynasty. We have some old texts, but many of the old texts, including the Inner Canon's Classic of Medicine, they're fragmented. Um, they have been edited, and we don't know what is actually original text and what was added on later. They know for sure that there are two chapters that are missing, one in the Suwan and one in the Lingshun. And so we know that it's written by many people over a course of probably a couple of hundred years, maybe more, and then cobbled together. And then in the early part of the Tang Dynasty, it was reformatted again by Wang Wing. And we don't know much more than that. And that's not to say that it's not the canon of Chinese medicine and that it shouldn't be the canon of Chinese medicine, but we need to look beyond some of the things that are said in that and put it in the larger context of Chinese culture and some of the things in Chinese culture which were part and parcel of what might have been in that book and would have been the background understanding. And so I want to talk about two aspects today. The first aspect that I want to talk about is that in the West and in modern China, there is a bit of a bias towards so-called herbal medicine, a bias which began probably in the Song Dynasty. And that bias is that herbal medicine and medicine as practiced by the literati, the Confucians of the time, was somehow more respectable than Chinese medicine that was practiced by the non-literati and people who had more hands-on traditions. This created the schism that Chinese herbal medicine has more respect, even to this day, in mainland China than, say, acupuncturists, an acupuncture which is considered more of a technical skill. And that is not to say that it's exactly the same in North America. I'm just saying that when I was studying there, this is kind of what I saw. And the way that people really seem to treat individuals that were practicing these two modalities of medicine. In the 1950s, a lot of Western medicine got included in Chinese medicine. A lot of Western medicine ideas were used to explain Chinese medicine to the point where a lot of Chinese medicine was abandoned or refuted, um, some of which because it didn't fit Marxist theory. I remember studying in Beijing and in my first book on foundations, they talked about how yin-yang theory was simple dialectical materialism, which if you know anything about yin-yang theory or dialectical materialism, you understand is quite amusing and not free. Regardless, I just wanted to point out that our present understanding of the anatomy of Chinese medicine from a more global view, from a view of the person as an integrated whole, 
more than just the Zongfu organs given primacy, but also the Zongfu organs and then the sort of more quote-unquote external system of channels and vessels that then helps to regulate the body within a larger system has fragmented to the point where we kind of stuff things in, trying to say, well, we can use this to explain this. Um, you know, some of the textbooks that I've read translated from the Chinese, some written by Westerners, they like to give a lot of Western biomedical explanations for why certain phenomena in Chinese medicine is so. But, you know, that doesn't actually make a lot of sense. It's like trying to explain Chinese grammar using English and then not understanding that you're still not reading Chinese or understanding the Chinese properly because you're now seeing it through the filter of Western medicine. So let's talk a little bit more concrete. So we know that uh, anatomically, Chinese medicine, anatomically speaking, the Zhangfu organs are the most internal part of the structure of the body. The Zhang organs are the most internal. The Fu organs are slightly external to that. And that is because the Zhang and Fu organs act as a system of integrating outside into inside so that the Fu organs, which are receptive of things coming from the outside for, you know, especially as far as Hu and Rake are concerned, process. And the Zhang organs, we know according to classical Chinese theory, are areas that store. What do they store? They store essence. They store organ essence. There are three kinds of essence, and I won't get into that right now. One, talk to me, just shoot me an email or ask me at some time in the future as to why there are three essences and why we don't talk about them as much at any rate. And so that's the internal system, not going into specific details of which organ does which. And then we have the channels and vessels. The channels specifically are given the same five-element attribution as the internal organs. And so when we talk about the lung, for example, we know that from Chinese medicine point of view, the lung is a metal organ and that has all of these other implications. But then we talk about the tie-in lung channel, the hand tie-in lung channel. We also say, well, that's also a metal channel. And because its main connection to the inside of the body is routed through the lung, that's not wrong, and it is what it says in the inner canon, but that's not the only thing that it says in the inner canon. In the inner canon, they also talk about earthly branches as well. And so when you talk about the earthly branches, all of a sudden what happens is that the hand tie-in lung channel then becomes yang wood. There's a reversal or a change in the status of the quality of that channel that is not so discussed nowadays. A lot of people say that, it, well, you know, we didn't see any historical records on this and blah, blah, and blah, blah, and so it's not classical. But in a way, there actually is classical because they always talked about stems and branches and the same breath. It was always the same. And this idea that there can be a reversal, especially reversal when you go from one level 
of what's going on within the system to another level is extremely common in Chinese medicine. And we've lost that understanding that this can happen. We've also lost the understanding of the implications of the fact that the Zhang and Fu organs are an internal system to help assimilate outside into becoming self, where the external system is a system that enables an entity to exist within a larger, changeable environment. So if we're talking about the tie-in system, which is the hand tie-in lung and the foot tie-in spleen, that's a system that helps the body to compensate for dampness. And what you begin to see is that that continuous system, sometimes called the same name channel system, sometimes called one of the confirmations, there's a number of different names. If you have an individual and that individual moves from an area that's you know normally humid to an area that's very humid, it is extremely common that after a few years, that person will begin to develop a lot of damp syndromes and we will begin to say, oh, well, their spleen must be weak. When in point of fact, the spleen has probably in this case become affected not so much by what's being taken on inside, but what is actually coming in from the outside. Or it might be some combination of these two. But by not considering the implications of how the body is responding to the external environment and its ability to compensate or not, we begin to lose a big piece of what's going on in the human body. The other thing that I would like to mention in this little talk is that not only is that relationship between the channels and the organs not exactly one-to-one, and that things change with regard to where in the understanding they're considered to be, where in the physical anatomy, the, the Chinese medicine energetic anatomy they're considered to be, but also the relationship between each of these elements changes considerably. So the channel interactions, the way that the channels work together and how they interact in various forms is extremely complex and is often not really talked about very much when we talk about Chinese medicine theory in school. That's often something that's an addition and add-on. And so, you know, if you just talk about the lung, well, let's consider. So the lung falls in the channel flow clock. That is the clock which goes around the 24-hour clock. If two hours, it changes. And so in some for some people, I've heard it called the organ clock. I think that's extremely wrong, and that is not how it is referred to in the inner canon. In fact, it is specifically related to the channels and not the organs. And so it's not exactly the same as maybe circadian rhythms or the idea that at this time of day, the liver as an organ is more functional than, um, say, some other organ in the system. It refers to the idea that the Jian liver channel is most active or least active at given times of the day. And so when you have this idea of being most active or least active in the tidal flu clock, you begin to get this idea of clock opposites. And that relationship of clock opposites then begins to have significant impact 
in how you would think about something that was going on with with the draining liver channel. And so if you have the draining liver channel and at the liver time of day, you begin to see that that channel, which is between one and three in the morning, there's something wrong going on. And then you have to decide, well, is it because the channel is hyperactive? Is it because the channel is hypoactive? I mean, is it, is it in excess or is it deficient? And then what you have to do is figure out, well, if I want to address it, am I going to get the best results by addressing this directly? Or will I get better results by looking at the clock opposite and deciding that I need to tonify or disperse that in order to correct whatever imbalance there is in that particular channel? One of the things that many people who are herbalists and who have only a first or second year understanding of Chinese medicine theory are probably not terribly aware of. But in the Ling Shu chapter 10, there is an entire section. It's all about the channels and the specific issues that can arise when you talk about the channels. And the channels are not talked about just as though they are deficient and excess. In fact, when it talks about it in the channels, a better translation of that first line would be, rather than pathological changes in the channel itself result in blah, 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 a better translation of that would be if the channel is roused, if somehow it is stimulated. It's, it's though, as though the, the chi in the channels has been disturbed in some way and it is no longer smoothly flowing. And then they go on to talk about, and if it is in excess, then blah, blah. And if it is deficient, then blah, blah. And so it talks about actually three different stages, not just the two stages that we commonly use to refer to zang and fu organs in the body. And so if we don't understand the differences and the fact that the different interactions between the channels are a very, very important part of Chinese medicine anatomical theory, then we're never going to be able to really get down into what's going on in the body and we're always going to be at the point of having to turn to other modalities to figure out what's going on in our own medicine. Thank you very much for listening. That's all I have to say for today. Brenda offers mentoring. You can reach out to her at harmonyhealth.ca at gmail.com.